Today, we look at the United Nations' latest attempt to end the war in Libya. Our focus again today is on Libya and the recent move led by the United Nations to bring an end to war that has been disastrous for the Libyans and the region. The UN is leading an initiative to reach a political solution. Critics have noted that this is a temporary arrangement set to fail because it is no different from the past initiatives. Will that be the case? Which way is Libya heading? With me is our collective member, Hamoud Salhi. Hamoud is Associate Dean of International Education and Senior International Officer and Professor of Political Science at California State University, Dominguez Hills. Welcome, Hamoud. Hi, Ankine. This is good. We're going to do it. Yes, we are. <laughs> so, Hamoud, this week, the United Nations Security Council unanimously approved a declaration calling for the withdrawal of all foreign forces and mercenaries from Libya without further delay. How serious is this declaration? We all know that the UN has disappointed the Libyans many times before. Should we take this latest position seriously now? It's a very, very serious question, and in part uh, because the United Nations Security Council have not, in most cases, especially when there is no superpower or the United States behind it lived up to expectation. And examples after examples can be drawn uh, to illustrate this point. And Libya has not been the exception. The conflict, as we all know, started back in February 2011, which at the time was thought to be another spring, Arab Spring Revolution. Libya followed the Tunisian-Egyptian model and uh, the Libyans were very optimistic. But Gaddafi at the time did not relent or did not uh, sort of uh, take the movement seriously. And the country somehow uh, drove into a state of an all-out war. Uh, for whatever reasons, uh, the situation continues today. But the main thing that happened uh, that contributed to the crisis and the civil war in Libya is the role that the United States played, the United Nations as well, uh, United States under President Barack Obama back in uh, 2011, even though initially he was not in favor of leading a military strike or a military invasion over Libya, Barack Obama finally assembled a NATO force and what we, it comes to be known a NATO Arab force. Well, in fact, it's not uh, that, that simple. The United States, along with NATO members and Arab countries, took actions, invaded the country, and that led to where we are here today. Since then, there were several attempts at what we call perhaps ceasefires. There were some solutions presented. But the biggest sort of achievement, if there was one, uh, was that in 2015, the Libyan had elections, uh, but when it came uh, to executing uh, the outcome of that elections, a Trumpian thing happened. One of the party refused to accept the results of the elections, and we ended up by having two governments or two parliaments one in Benghazi, and this uh, government was recognized by the United Nations. It's called the government uh, recognized by the, uh, uh, the United Nations. The members who opposed the, the results of the elections 
also established their own parliament in Benghazi. And as a result, you had two governments. And uh, plus, on the, on the ground, uh, there were several militias, uh, there were several mercenaries, a state of terrorism uh, sort of uh, became prevalent in Libya. And then we sort of get accustomed uh, to uh, what's happening uh, to uh, the war in Libya. It didn't get the attention of the Europeans in particular until the wave of migration started oh, through Libya through, uh, to go through Italy and arrive in, in Europe. That wave of mig migration that was coming also from other uh, African countries uh, became a source of, let's say, uh, of anger perhaps against uh, the Libyans, against what's happening in the country, and more than anything else, uh, they thought, the European thought, that if they stop the flow of migration uh, from Libya, uh, they could have peace in their own respective countries. But the point here is that uh, the, the, uh, the flow of uh, the migrants uh, through Libya to Europe gave some kind of interest in the Libyan uh, cases that wasn't seen before uh, when the Libyans were killing themselves and continue to, to kill them themselves. Uh, where we are at this point, so nothing happened in 2015. Uh, I mean, from 2015, it's a state of war. I mean, then the, the migration came up. And then back uh, in uh, uh, 2019, we had uh, a new uh, war uh, declared or and a military venture started with uh, General uh, Haftar. This general was in the United States. Many perceive him as a, a CIA agent, uh, but he was backed by the United States, Egypt, and other countries, and led major attacks to take control of the entire country of Libya. The position of the United States and that of the Europeans and some Arab countries uh, was that as long as Haftar is able to take control of the country and establish order, they were okay with it. But there are what we call red lines. The red lines are for Haftar at the time back in 2019, April, uh, that it's okay for him to take the whole control of the sort of east part uh, of Libya. And when he reached the capital of Tripoli, which was under the control of the uh, government recognized by the United Nations, uh, the Algerians intervened and put what they call a red mark. Uh, according to the Algerian president, the United States, uh, the Algerians were not to tolerate uh, an invasion uh, by Haftar uh, of Tripoli because, according to them, that would create major uh, a civil war in the country. Just as a note, there are about 140 tribes in Libya. The most dominant of them are about 10 or 11. And those tribes are the driving force behind Haftar's attack but later, when the Algerians put the red mark, the red line, and other countries, I should, I should point it out, the government backed by the United Nations decided to seek the support of Turkey. So with the blessing of Turkey, 
the government recognized by the United Nations was to make major victories on the ground, and they reached the boundaries of Benghazi, the capital of the general uh, Haftar's uh, troops. There, the Egyptians intervened and said, if you continue or take control of Benghazi, Egypt will intervene. At the time, Egypt secured the loyalty of its own tribe, of a, a major tribe in Libya, and the support, according to them, of the parliament in Benghazi, which gave them, according to the Egyptian president, and this, this was on national television, and, uh, and uh, so uh, Egypt was ready to intervene if the other forces were to take control of Benghazi. So that was stopped. We reached the ceasefire in 2019 with the United Nations stepping in, and everybody thought uh, that you know this will sort of be the same. That it's only a matter of time before we're going back to the uh, uh, to this sort of uh, uh, state of war. But a meeting, a recent meeting back in January in Tunisia, started what they call a dialogue, a national dialogue among Libyans. There were 75 personalities, or, or so-called leaders from Libya. Frankly, I, despite all the research you do, maybe it's a challenge that we give to our listeners to find who were the 75 members. My connections are not that bad, but I, don't, I, I have yet to see the names. What I'm told is that the 70, whatever I should say, that the 70, I'm told as well, that the 75 members have some connections to the internal uh, tribes in the country but with loyalties uh, that could be a sort of a question. On top of the list is who would be, who is now the uh, prime minister of the head of the government, of this temporary government. Uh, his name is Abdelaziz Dbiba. He is, according to New York Times and several other sources, uh, allegedly a corrupt leader, he's a billionaire, he was brought to lead the government. So this initiative, establishing this political solution uh, or sort of launching this political initiative was supported by the United Nations. The United Nations has been pushing for this uh, through its uh, representative or the envoy uh, in, uh, in Libya, but it hasn't had success. Judging from what we, uh, uh, what is on the ground, it is, Likely, and it's really hard to, uh, to say this, that uh, there is some kind of optimism, and I think Libya is perhaps uh, is on its way out of this crisis. By this crisis doesn't mean the economic, the social, the humanitarian, but at least will have some kind of order or stability. Hamoud, let me interrupt you for a moment to say that you are listening to Swana Region Radio on KPFK 90.7 FM. And I'm Ankina Ghassia with Hamoud Salhi, and we are looking at the conflict in Libya. Hamoud, you were saying that maybe Libya is on its way out of this crisis. Perhaps three things can support that. One is that there is fatigue among the Libyans that the war has gone long, and they are affected. Needless to say that the Libyans are very, very much affected by the, by the COVID-19 pandemic. So the health situation is, is very uh, dangerous. And they need to reach uh, some kind of uh, order uh, 
and they are happy or optimistic about anything that might usher some kind of stability. So the Libyan suffering is also is a big factor, and their uh, wishes uh, that a solution, any solution, uh, will be supportive. The second thing, the critiques are saying uh, that this is only a temporary arrangement. As we've seen in the, in the previous ceasefires, the ceasefire gave time uh, to uh, the parties fighting to regroup and fight again. Now, let me just underscore uh, that there are still uh, attacks, uh, violent attacks, terrorist attacks in, in major cities, uh, in, in Libya and Benghazi and Tripoli. And uh, this is uh, documented by, by everyone. But uh, there is a sense that the military solution has come uh, to a standstill. In other words, it's no longer a viable position. The fighting parties seem to agree, particularly the external world, these militias are supported by outside forces. We know Turkey is involved, Russia is involved, other Arab countries are involved in the conflict, and the United States, let's not forget that. So the external forces uh, particularly have concluded that continuing this, what you may call a zero-sum sort of outcome where I'm going to win the whole thing or nothing, and using the military option to take control of Libya may not be, number one, achievable, as, as proved uh, by several cases. And more than anything else, it might be too costly for them, and particularly with the, the pandemic effects. And uh, so from that perspective, the military option, I believe, is off the table. So where we are at this point is sort of these countries will try to lobby for a solution or resolution or somewhat a management of the conflict in ways that will help them uh, protect their national interest. So the French will make sure they continue to have their military bases. The United States will continue to do for that and be sort of the, uh, the leader or the, uh, the country that will have the last say in the formation of the cabinets and the, the election, all of that. And Russia, the same thing, and Turkey as well, and other uh, Arab countries, including the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. So it's very, very, and Egypt, I should say. So the shift to finding a way to influence the outcome of this dialogue is where uh, the external forces are heading. That's the second factor. The third factor is the, the political class in Libya. Uh, when you read the declaration by several members, it is clear that they want a political solution and a solution that they think can be achievable, particularly if the external forces are uh, uh, taking a position of non-interference in the internal matters. So they feel that they can't resolve the conflict through dialogue and by sort of dividing the pie in ways uh, that everybody could get a piece. A case in point is that the new government doesn't include the defense minister because 
uh, that or doesn't have a defense minister because that is a controversial issue. So what they are in their negotiation and their dialogue, they're looking for the minimum uh, sort of compromise so that they can move forward with a political solution, regardless of how fragile is that solution. And Kenny, I give you a long answer. My <laughs> we bored everybody, 100%. Yeah. Well, it is time to do a station ID. So you are listening to Suwana Region Radio on independent and listener-sponsored KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM San Diego, and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest, China Lake. Of course, streaming live on kpfk.org. I am Ankina Ghassian with Hamoud Salhi. This is the Swana Region Radio again. And we're discussing the war in Libya and the United Nations initiative to reach a political solution. The United Nations Security Council also declares its welcoming support for the formation of a new unified government on an interim basis. First, tell us about this government. What chances does it have to succeed? Are you aware, do you know, if the government has been approved by the parliament? And also, what does this move signal? I mean, we mentioned a little bit, sort of looking at the basis for agreement. So they agreed to establish the government, and it has, I think, uh, a very big government. Uh, I have, I hope I'm not wrong, but about 33 ministers, and they are all divided according to the stakeholders in the conflict. And it's based really by uh, how influential are the parties involved in this conflict. So they all agreed, and with the United Nations blessing, that uh, the function of this government will be specifically designed to prepare for the elections, parliamentary and presidential, scheduled for December 24th of this year. Is that Christmas? Uh, almost, yes. <laughs> almost that. Okay. So it's on that date. So they give it specific function to do just that. So the whole idea of forming a government that represents the Libyan people or the forces was a sort of end of this temporary organization. And the reason it's temporary is that there are some conditions that the prime minister, the current prime minister, will, run, will not run for the election. And this is why the major figure, those who were expected to be on the, uh, uh, on the government, uh, did not include themselves in it. Now, it, it was approved by, by the parliament, and I might say, by its both sides. And now, the very question that one should actually bring is the representation. How representative are those two institutions of the, the, the Libyan people. I think a question that let, left aside, not discussed. The other thing is, the, is the gov this government also seems to lack uh, any kind of legitimacy. 
the two major indicators of a government that is represents a sovereign state is to have an external representation and that is in the foreign minister and a secretary of defense in our case, but a defense ministry because as i mentioned earlier the defense minister is such a sensitive position the uh, it was left aside so this government does not have a, uh, a defense minister now what's very interesting is that the libyan government has a defense minister and when you read the libyan press he is speaking on uh, about the the government and he's supporting it and we all i mean uh, a, a lot of people will tell you or analysts have pointed out that his allegiance is to hafter's group and he's also a man who is not uh, sort of well regarded in the libyan uh, sort of in, in, in the libyan circle meaning that he is aligned with other forces so leaving out the defense position in the government is a strong signal Uh, that there are serious disagreement in addition as i mentioned it's also addresses the legitimacy of this government will this government be allowed to sign agreement during this time now again when you look at the libyan uh, political class what they're saying on on uh, on their on the in the media uh, they seem to give this organization a lot of credit uh, and that they they the NSA organization because in fact it's really it's a it's a it's a group of uh, people who agree to certain things and uh, and they are preparing the elections whatever that elections will be so its success i think it will be it will succeed in in having some kind of elections in december 24 uh now uh, there is always that saying in our part of the world uh, that uh, uh uh when it comes to looking at the transparency of the elections uh monitors particularly western monitors if the result fits their interest if the right people that serves the american and western interest uh is good for them then it's legitimate and they will describe the corruption whatever it is how the elections were stolen or whatever uh, uh, as you know it's natural given the condition of this country it's okay so it's that kind of result that will be will be sort of seen in uh, uh, where they if the elections were to held i think they, they will be, be be held so the chances to succeed uh, are there but how successful is that uh, uh, and how representative is the result of those elections remains to be seen i mean we uh, and, and i question that in the few minutes we have left hamoud i want to ask you about the united states the united states had played a major role in the invasion of iraq it was under former president barack obama that in 2011 that the united states led a naval attack on libya to topple qaddafi will the current administration reverse that trend so it's very very interesting in his book exercise of power robert gates talked uh, some uh, bring something very interesting and somewhat there are some contradiction there about biden on the one hand uh, uh, robert gates uh, the secretary of the of defense under president barack obama and george w bush 
he uh, he was uh, uh, Biden uh, was against uh, uh, the the invasion of of Libya or the military lead, lead uh, 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 sort of attack on Libya. But at the same time, uh, Robert Gates reveals in the book somewhere in those pages, somewhere in other pages, that Obama sort of wanted uh, President Biden to take the other side. In other words, to play, to play the bad police person, if you want to know. In other words, one doubts, one questions whether the position that he took against the war was a tactic or what he was, he, he, he meant it, that he has some genuine interest in not seeing the United States get into war. So those of us who are wishful thinking might give Biden perhaps the opportunity uh, to correct what Obama himself said, it was his biggest mistake not uh, to plan for a post Gaddafi's uh, 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 situation, meaning that they went, we invaded, we, we bombarded the country, we destroyed it, but we had no plans of what Libya, how Libya should, uh, should be next time. Uh, you know, even if the United States prepared for that, I mean, Iraq is a good example of how that would have been. But some analysis are saying, perhaps this is Biden's way of correcting uh, the wrongs. I, I think there is uh, some hope in there, is that because the United States really must sort of take that region seriously, uh, the United States cannot continue uh, to sort of uh, uh, with pushing uh, for uh, the state of war, and it must play a, a very important role. And the United States will see it as a way to exercise its influence in the region. It has already military bases in Libya. It, it has already uh, the expectations of the European to take the lead. So I think the United States will take that. How beneficial will that be for the Libyans? That remains to be seen. Well, that is all the time we have today, Hamoud. Thank you. Make sure to tune in next week to hear Somana Collective members David and Rana's interview with Susan Abul Hawa on the Cultural Festival of Palestinian Rights that was held online in December. The show and all Somana Region radio shows are archived on kpfk.org. You can also find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, Breaker, and Radio Public. Please also visit and join our Facebook page. On behalf of Hamoud, myself, and the Swana Region Collective, I thank you for listening and for your continued support. Until next week. <laughs>